Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Seta. You may have noticed it's been a while since we've released the podcast. I'm excited to share that my wife, Nicole, and I recently moved into a new home here in St. Petersburg, Florida. Nicole and I also recently took a trip to Italy and were able to visit Lake Como, Venice, Florence, and Rome. And just as we were about to release this episode last week, we had a major hurricane scare here in Tampa Bay. While most of St. Pete was relatively unscathed by the storm, I do want to send our thoughts and prayers to our neighbors in Sarasota and Fort Myers who were greatly affected by Hurricane Ian. On a happier note, I'm looking forward to catching up with many of you at the upcoming Mother of Pearls conference. I'll be recording three new podcasts from Scottsdale, and I have some incredible guests lined up. As far as today's show, it was recorded back in June at the Lightforce Future Conference. I realize this is a bit of a longer episode, but I loved our conversation, and I hope you do as well. Now, without further ado, we're on to today's episode. I want my goal to be, just like it is with, again, Lightforce, put the teeth where they're supposed to be, knowing that you understand as an orthodontist what the force system is, and then have the appliance customized to the patient. I'm Dr. Chris Seta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Maz Moshiri. It's hard to imagine orthodontics today without clear plastic aligners, but this year marks the 25th anniversary since the launch of Invisalign. Align technology created an incredible new market for their product, but in its infancy, Invisalign was pretty much limited to straightening the anterior teeth. Pioneering orthodontists began embracing moving teeth with plastic and pushing the primitive product forward. Orthodontists such as Dr. Willie Diane, Bill Kahneman, Donna Galante, and Barry Glazer, to name but a few, began teaching their orthodontic colleagues how to straighten teeth and correct malocclusions with clear aligners. For the most part, this educational content was sponsored by Align Technology and consisted of in-person lectures, study clubs, Ask the Expert webinars, and the occasional white paper. Today, I'm honored to shine a light on perhaps the classiest gentleman in orthodontics. Dr. Maz Moshiri is a respected orthodontic educator and considered by many a master clinician. Maz practices alongside his father and sister in St. Louis and is a clinical assistant professor for the orthodontic program at St. Louis University. As you'll hear on today's episode, Maz and his business partner, Dr. Jonathan Nicosesis, decided to curate their expertise and develop a comprehensive curriculum for aligner education. However, instead of publishing their compendium in textbook form, they decided to make it digital and take it online as a series of on-demand videos. In a post-COVID world, this may sound commonplace, but virtual education was fairly cutting edge back in 2017. Maz and Jonathan have gone on to educate over 4,000 orthodontists internationally in the use of clear aligners. 
Well, welcome to the podcast, Maz. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm actually doing amazing now that awesome. we have a, a beverage in front of us. Yes, that was a, a nice cap to a weekend, wasn't it? it? It was a great weekend. Why don't you tell everyone where we're at? So we are at the Lightforce Future Meeting That's right. in Boston at the Omni Seaport Hotel. Yeah, we're chilling in the, I guess this is like the Lightforce Lounge. That's probably what Matt Handy would brand it. Uh, yeah. But uh, just hanging out, ready to record a podcast. The meeting just wrapped. Uh, yeah. I thought it was super exciting. Really yeah. loved the energy that came out of it. I really think Lightforce has something here going forward. So did you have a favorite part of Future? I did. We had breakout sessions in the afternoon yesterday yeah. where we had a bunch of roundtables and there were moderated discussions. Essentially, I was lucky enough to lead one of them and just basically we're asking users, you know, what do you want to learn about this? And one of the resounding questions was kind of like, what's your workflow mentally when you're submitting the case? And then discussions came up about, you know, what are your wire sequences, so forth. And just having those discussions, people being vulnerable, open and honest, because you may assume even for seasoned practitioners that you just know orthodontics and it's really not the case. You know, we still have questions. We learn things on a day-to-day basis. So just being honest with people and, you know, just being open to learning was the best part of that. I got energized by that. And you learn by asking questions, right? Exactly. So speaking of questions, you are teaching me about tequila today. (laughs) Yes. So in front of you, you have a Clas Azul Reposado and we were discussing um, college tequila versus sipping tequila. That's right. Yes. I've had uh, several experiences with the college tequila. <laughs> and that's probably why you don't like tequila. So, But uh, I'm hoping to change your mind today. This is kind of a little bit of a hyped up tequila. You know, there's probably some that are even better than this that have a, a little bit of better flavor tone. This is a little bit vanilla to me, a little bit sweet. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting like vanilla notes on this. Yeah, you know, but we're drinking it neat and not on the no rocks, ice. not diluting yeah. it. I was explaining, or you wouldn't put this in a margarita necessarily, you know, mm-hmm. unless you were a billionaire. Um, <laughs> so we're just drinking this neat. We're enjoying it as a one-off. We also discussed it as a stimulant. Yeah, you were telling me about this. So most alcohols are depressants, but tequila is actually a stimulant. And so, you know, you drink red wine to chill. Yeah. I drink tequila to kind of perk up, you know, and to make sure I'm, you know, awake for the night and active in the discussion. And if I'm with my wife and we want to have a movie night, I'm not drinking tequila. We're drinking usually red wine. So this, it kind of... It's interesting how you can choose it for your mood. Okay. All right. Well, I'm definitely enjoying it. Very smooth. I'm definitely getting the vanilla notes. And how much per bottle is this? Well, the guy downstairs said 400. I was a little bit surprised. I think if you go to like a good mom and pop like liquor place, you can probably get it for around 250 to 300. Okay. Maybe maybe here in Baston. That was terrible. (laughs) Let me hear your Bostonian accent because I I listened to a Lightforce webinar recently. And uh, what's funny is you tried to do an impression of Alfred, who's from Virginia, but with a Boston accent. Can you do it? So I'll be re-impersonating Alfred saying my name. Hey, Maz. Maz. (laughs) Does he still call you Maz? So I normally don't go out of my way to correct people (laughs) when they say something like my name wrong, because my name is Maziar, and it really got butchered my whole life. So you just kind of get over it at some point. Maziar, okay. Maziar, M-A-Z-Y-A-R. Yeah, I always thought it was like Maziar. No, well, I'm saying it correctly now. Look at that. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. So, you know, so that's why I actually kind of cut it off to Maz, uh, to some extent. It's just easier for people to remember and say. When I first met Alfred... You know, he he kind of saw me walking by his booth and, it, you know, he was trying to get my attention and say, hey, Mez, you know, but now that I, I speak to him more regularly, at some point I got tired of hearing Mez. And so I said, it's actually Maz, Alfred. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, and he, he like changed his inflection of the tone oh. and 
start speaking like a Midwesterner. So, oh, I like. It. Well, you should just call him like Alfred or something like that. And <laughs> sometimes I call him Alfredo just for fun. AG three, like you know, little Al. Yes, that was very good in your presentation. So, for those of you who didn't see it, you had like a Simpsons reference, right? Why don't yes. you set that up for me? Basically, the topic of my discussion was, you know, why it's important to be digital essentially for your future in terms of your orthotic practice. And apparently within the company, there's a joke about Alfred being called Little Al because he is Alfred the third. Right. His dad is the second, but, you know, he's a junior essentially to some extent, although technically I guess that's if you're a second in the lineage. Right. So I couldn't call him junior, neither could people within the company, so they call him Little Al. Little Al, right, because I guess dad goes by Big Al, right? Yeah, exactly. So instead of like Trey or Trip, he's just, uh, yeah, Little Al. Little Al. So I put that up there like, you know, Bart Simpson getting in trouble writing on the chalkboard. And as you remember from the Simpsons episode, he had to write that over and over and over again. So I had an analogy that, well, if he would just go digital, I couldn't believe I found this online. I was like so happy with myself that I'd put these two things together and putting this presentation <laughs> that was together. Good. I was very proud of myself that I found a GIF of uh, basically Bart writing on the screen. You cannot deny the future. I think it was something of uh, something along those lines. Something along yeah. those lines. And you see these two like construction workers come in, they take the regular chalkboard away and they put up a smart board in front of them. <laughs> and he copies and pastes that. You cannot fight the future. And he just basically copies and pastes and he's done. You know, there and you go, Bart. Such a rebel, right? Such a rebel. And just led into the discussion. So I was really happy that I was able to find that. But that's that's where that's done from. I so, loved it. So we're going right. to dive more into your presentation on Lightforce today. But before we do that, I want to dive into your backstory here and learn a little bit about what life was like growing up in St. Louis. St. Louis is a bigger city to some extent, but it's one of those that has a, more of a small town feel to it. So it's a great place to raise Definitely a family. Definitely does, yeah. You know, and like, it's one of those places where people, when they meet you, they say, where did you go to high school? Like, that's how they kind of frame you up a little bit, which gotcha. is good and bad to some extent, because mm-hmm. it's the, the small town means you also kind of know everybody. But regardless of that, um, I had a really nice upbringing. My parents were very hardworking, uh, really went out of their way to make sure that I was provided for, that I had a good education, that safe environment and so forth. They're very strict to some extent, almost overly strict, but that's also part of them being generationally from another country, mm-hmm. you know, like hyper-protective of their children. I have actually a one-off story about that that we can get into that's pretty funny in terms of liberation when I went to college. <laughs> oh, <laughs> from, oh, this sounds like a good story. From under their thumb. But uh, I had a really good upbringing. I went to a private school for the second half of my educational kind of experience. I was mm-hmm. in a public school from all the way through sixth grade and then went to a private school in seventh grade. And I actually had a tough time transitioning to that. Like, I really kind of struggled and got better throughout high school and then got into medical school. Oh, did you? Out of high school. Wow. Uh, but didn't go. Much to my father's disappointment, yeah. Now, just to back up a little bit, yeah. I know your dad's an orthodontist, and I believe your mom's a dentist too, right? She's an endodontist, who coincidentally, fortuitously, I think, she retired literally March of 2020. Oh, wow. Before the pandemic. Like, she had no inclination of what was happening. She just retired at that time. And then, you know what happened, so. Right, fortuitous <laughs> timing. And I believe you grew up in a Persian household, right? So, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, both parents immigrated here from Iran. Mm-hmm. They had scholarships from dental school to go to school here. My dad was number one in his class. My mom was number two in her class. Wow. Actually, this is interesting. My dad went to Tufts for six months to become an endodontist. Hmm. And he totally bailed because he what? hated it. Really? And he wrote a letter to the Shah of Iran and basically to like the whatever organization was deciding these scholarships and yeah. was begging and pleading to be 
transferred into orthodontics. And so he ended up going to Northwestern for ortho. And my mom and him were apart for a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they ended up getting married in Iran and came back here and were finishing their schooling. And when they were here, the revolution broke out. Wow. And so their parents were like, you know, absolutely do not come back. So what Uh, year was that? I believe it was 78. Okay. That that happened. And, you know, they had to get their dental licenses again. So they had to go to dental school again. And while my dad was in dental school at Wash U, they asked him to become the chairman of the ortho program at the age of 28. Hmm. And so he chaired the ortho program at Wash U for, I believe it was like three or four years. And it ended up kind of settling into St. Louis. Uh, and that was the beginning of their journey in, in being in the States. Yeah, that's incredible. And I had the pleasure of meeting your dad for the first time this weekend at the yeah. Boston Red Sox game. So that was super cool to finally get to meet him. Yeah, I call him the OG. He's a, one of the classiest people I know. He is one of the hardest working people I know. And I'm very blessed to be able to have him as a father. He's a huge mentor for me, obviously, coming into practice. He's yeah. my biggest uh, cheerleader. Just an amazing, amazing person. So um, was an educator for, obviously, with his beginnings as chairman, but then he taught at Louisville for 28 years. Wow. That's Never a, missed a day. That's fantastic. So if it was like, a, if he missed his flight, he would get in a car and drive. Like That's the type of guy he Very is. Very dedicated. Yeah. Very dedicated. And so he's... Um, you know, and that planted a seed in me because I saw that growing up and uh, I saw how many people he influenced. I used to go to AO meetings when that was our family vacation. We'd go to AO meetings mm-hmm. and you just see him saying hi to all the residents that he helped to train or had influence in their life. And that was very touching, you know, and you could see he would light up. He would light up when oh, he saw that. That's wonderful. Yeah, it was so, very cool. So we're recording this in June. Tomorrow's actually Father's Day. Do you yeah. think there's like a trait that you got from your dad or something you admire most about him? For better or worse, uh, his work ethic. I do work tirelessly. I you really, do. I really do. And my wife, you know, she gets on me about it, honestly. My I, wife too. I think we all, as orthodontists or type A people, we all, you know, put the pedal to metal. But we have differences in personality. My sister, for example, is much better at balancing things than I am. She's absolutely incredible. But for me, like, I always am trying to achieve or test myself on what else I can put on my plate. And that's not always a good thing to do. But my dad was always that way. He would travel to Springfield, Missouri. He had an office in Springfield, Missouri. It was three hours away. And he would go there for a week. He would get a hotel and he would see patients that whole time had a totally different staff. Hmm. Then you go to Louisville and teach for two days. Wow. And, you know, stay in a hotel again. So he was gone twice a month, my whole childhood upbringing, Hmm. you know, for a week and a half. I'm gone a lot traveling and speaking as well. And so it translates, but when you're a kid, you try to establish your identity and sometimes you just want to be the opposite of your parents. Yeah, Things sometimes come full circle and it takes you that time as an adult to realize how similar you can become to your parents sometimes. That's right. And so to your question, I think his work ethic and kind of what I saw of him as a mentor growing up that he wanted to provide and he wanted to have an influence and reach out to people, that definitely rubbed off on me. So circling back to something you said earlier about applying to medical school, getting accepted and not going. How did that resonate with your dad? He was very upset. He was extremely upset at me. But my reasoning for not going at the time was that I thought a good doctor would have have a more well-rounded education. Okay. And be able to be more relatable. And I wasn't willing to sacrifice because I'd also, as I mentioned before, been under his thumb like all of high school because he was just a strict parent that I wanted to be able to get out and actually experience life a little bit. And I knew I needed that as a person. Mm -hmm. And it changed my trajectory. You know, the ability to be able to stand up for myself and be able to say no to him was a big deal. Yeah. Culturally, it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. 
his whole dream of coming to the United States, starting with nothing in his pocket, was to make sure his kids were successful. And he had invested, you know, money for me to go to private school. The intention behind that was to get to a good college or to do something beyond that. And when I achieved that, and I had almost jumped several hurdles because I didn't have to apply to medical school again after college. That was a big deal to him. Yeah. Hindsight 2020, it was the right decision. So. Yeah. So you eventually went on to Emory University in Atlanta. Yeah. And uh, so what happened there in Atlanta? I'm, I'm dying to know now. So th- I've never told anyone this story, so you can't oh, tell anyone about this. Okay. This is, this is going to be an Illuminate exclusive, apparently. Yes. This is a between you and me. Okay. When I, <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling this story now. Um, I bombed freshman year. No way. I bombed. And so my dad told me, and, and rightfully so. I just can't so. see that. Oh, dude, I bombed. <laughs> because I had freedom, and I had no idea what to do with it. Hmm. And so my father, basically, he drew a line for me. He said, you know, it stems from the med school decision. He's like, fine, you can go to Emory. Yeah. But if you don't maintain above a 3.5 GPA throughout this, I'm taking you out, and you can go to whatever college you want in-state. I'm not going to pay money for this. Sure. He helped pay for my college. So that was the agreement, right? And that was the, you know, if you're not going to med school, which is in-state, in Missouri, you know, so cheaper tuition than going out of state to Emory, like that was the cutoff. And so I was fortunate enough that when I was at Emory, one of my good friends from high school was with me and we ended mm-hmm. up being roommates. And this guy was very crafty. Mm-hmm. And so um, to the extent of where he made excellent, excellent fake IDs. Oh, yeah. Oh. So he was running a little, you know, business out of our dorm room, essentially, like doing this, you know. <laughs> and so I didn't have a role in that business at all. Like that was his thing. Okay. Um, but I did have a great fake ID through college. And regardless of that fact, when I, I was rushing a fraternity, I just, I basically had no time management skills whatsoever. Because when you're in high school, everything's so structured for you. You have your classes, right. you have your sports, you have your homework, you go to bed, you rinse and repeat. Right. I was so structured that I was, I felt like a robot. I just knew what I needed to do. I got to college and I went to a very hard high school. So when I get to college, I actually was already a second semester freshman. I had so many AP credits Mm -hmm. that my schedule was fairly open and I just didn't know what to do with myself. And so, you know, went out, socialized and just completely had no time management and I was like bombing. I had like, I think I had a 2.7 GPA. I feel like my freshman year at college, I went to Wake Forest Probably was my one of my lower GPAs. Probably very similar reasons. You know, you're out on your own for the first time. You exactly. don't have your parents there telling you what to do. Okay, it's time to go do this, time to do that, right? Yeah. So long story short, I did not want to get kicked out of Emory. I was having the time of my life. <laughs> I had made great friends. Actually, and I don't want to get off track with this story. Keep going. But the July 4th, I have eight of my college friends coming to stay at my house with their significant others for the whole weekend. And they're bringing all their children. I'm having 35 people stay at my house. I don't have a mansion. I have rented Winnebago's in the driveway. <laughs> I, we're using rooms that are not bedrooms to put like mattresses on from Amazon on the floor. And we're just going to basically like compound it up and just have a great time and just have everyone together. So I'm very close with these people. Yeah. Like, like these are my brother's, we honestly have such a kinship with each mm-hmm. other. And that was what I was in the middle of, you know? So I would have done anything not to leave that place. Yeah. To the extent of where I took my report card and I gave it to my buddy and he photoshopped it. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and I would go to the registrar's office and I would get the letterhead 
and the mailing envelope. I would have to go online to Emory's website, change the billing address temporarily so that the tuition, because like the tuition had to be sent to my parents. It was still like right. through you know the letter. So I had to change it temporarily to make sure nothing was sent out in terms of my report card. Go ahead and send that from the registrar's office, mail it home, and then change the mailing address again so they get the tuition bill. <laughs> this is very crafty. Yes. This went on for four years. Oh, wow. By the time I graduated, so sophomore year, I started getting four O's every year because I was scared to death. Yeah. Right? Um, and so by the time I graduated, I had a 3.5 GPA. Perfect. <laughs> you slid right in there. <laughs> slid right in. And like, long story short, in terms of this, like I graduated dental school. I didn't tell my dad this story until I graduated dental school. And the reason why I couldn't face him with it, he has a lot of trust in me and I was violating that trust. I was obviously lying to right. an extent. But when I graduated dental school, there was like eight graduation awards. And I had, I had received six of them. Mm-hmm. And he was almost like embarrassed because it was like I was getting called for all these like research awards or whatever else, like accolades. And I was a little bit embarrassed too, but I really worked hard. And yeah. so at that moment, I told him and he looked at me and he was like, for a moment, he was so mad. And then I could tell he just completely like, it was like, what am I going to say? Foreign parents can be overburdening. Yeah. I was like, dad, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Like you get tired of hearing that as a parent sometimes even in hearing it as a kid. And at that moment, he realized there's nothing he could do. I am who I am. So he had nothing to say. After all that, right? And you were probably so nervous to bring this conversation up with him. I was very nervous, but also I wanted to get off my chest. There you go. And that was the moment to do it. And hopefully you had some college tequila in you too uh, to get out, right? (laughs) So let's talk about dental school. So I think you sort of went back towards St. Louis, right? Where'd you end up for dental? I actually went to University of Louisville and that was a beautiful thing because my dad was still teaching there at the time. And so what would end up happening is he would fly into town once a month. He'd stay with me. And I would make him take me out to nice dinners. And so we would just literally, we went on a culinary tour of Louisville. Mm-hmm. And every single time he'd come in, I'd try to choose a new restaurant. And it was just magical because we got to bond over that. And I love food. Me too. Um, they asked the question at the Life Force meeting, if you didn't do orthodox, what would you have done? I probably would have really loved to become a chef. I was a waiter for many years of my life. I was a waiter for like six years of my oh, life. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I waited tables all through college. I waited tables in high school. And I loved it. I absolutely loved being in that environment. I love how fast paced it was, the energy of it, having to talk to people over and over and over again. I think it actually helped shape me as an orthodontist, honestly, mm. having that experience. Um, very fond memories of that, of sharing that with them. So. Very cool. And then for ortho, did you stay at Louisville? I did, yeah. So um, I ended up matching at Louisville. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest with you, it was, I think, my third choice because I just wanted to experience something different than Louisville. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I ended up matching there as number three. So. What were your top two choices? Do you remember? I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, it was Washington was number one, University of Washington. I believe then UAB and then Louisville. Okay. All right. Very yeah. good. Now, did you always know you were going to go back to St. Louis and practice with dad or? I did. I always, yeah, that was always the plan mm-hmm. um, to be under his wing and have his mentorship and um, to Take advantage of the opportunity. It's a significant opportunity to work with your with your dad, I think, and to have an established practice. Now, that being said, you know, my dad was all over the place. He was going to Springfield, he was going to Louisville, he was going, uh, you know, he was in St. Louis pretty much part-time. I took over one doctor part-time practice. And so there was uh, definitely some growth to be had. And it's funny because some people would look at that and be like, oh, it's not ready for me. And, you know, you take a pay cut doing that, obviously, and whatever. But that was the reason why I'm even talking to you today as far as I'm concerned, because I had an opportunity, I had time on my hands to actually learn 
Because sometimes you can come into a situation and be overwhelmed by it. If you're in a busy practice, I actually was underwhelmed. I was there and I was kind of sitting on my hands a little bit. And so that was really a main reason for me to learn Invisalign in terms of the time I devoted to it is because I didn't have enough to do. And yeah. I just completely dove into it because I wanted to establish myself within that practice and I had the time to do so. You know, and I think there's so much to be said for that, right? Because it's really hard to be creative when you're super busy because you're just sort of on that hamster wheel going and going and going. So if not for that downtime, right, you may have never gotten into it. It was an opportunity. Yeah. So I assume your father didn't do a whole lot with aligners. He had done one case. Well, okay, one. All right. He had done one case when I joined him. I had done one case in residency. So it was uh, just, we didn't have much information in front of us yeah. at the time. And so how'd you learn about aligners? I had taken my part one ABO boards and there was an Invisalign lecture that was in Lexington, Kentucky, which is like an hour and a half away. So I was receiving no information in residency about it. Mm-hmm. And as a resident, you're insatiable to some extent. You want to kind of take it all in. And I did think it was an opportunity of something I want to learn more about. So I go to a study club. David Boschkin is speaking at the time and he was showing some cases that I was like, wow, I've just been told this is not possible with aligners. And that was very eye opening to me. I had met a former resident of my father's who invited me to his practice and I went and shadowed him. And that was very eye opening for me. He was doing 50% Invisalign at the time. Mm -hmm. um, And this is 2007 and treating all sorts of cases. So I felt like I got kind of a window of opportunity to kind of look into the future yeah. At that moment, I was like, well, you know, I'm always the type of person who's like, well, if he can do it, why can't I do it? Or if she can do it, why can't I do yeah. it? You know, I'm, I'm always of that mentality. I just went back and I just put my head down and focused on it. And I was challenged by it. My dad was open-minded to it is because we treat a lot of TMJ patients. Mm. And so we were used to removable appliances. He actually, his whole practice at the time was removable appliances in terms of his interceptive removable expanders, twin blocks, splints. Interesting. Okay. He, I mean, he did braces, obviously, but everything else in between was removable. So he was open-minded to it. And a lot of our TMD patients transitioned into Invisalign because that's kind of a seamless transition for them. They go from removable splint into removable aligner. Yeah, at that point, if we've helped them with their joint and we've established that they are a candidate for orthodontics, we would then take them into Invisalign. And Mm -hmm. that was a big part of my learning curve because a lot of those patients, maybe their joint symptoms would come back in Invisalign. Hmm. And it's because they were finishing too tight anteriorly because we weren't over-treating certain movements that we needed to over-treat. And that's how I learned to kind of conceptualize the need to overtreat certain things that would yeah. make you more successful. And you and I, um, you know, out of the three planes of space, right? AP, transverse, and vertical, I think we share something in common because you and I love the vertical dimension. Yes, yes. That a- am I right deal. on that? That's, that, that's, that's is my that your favorite, favorite dimension? dimension? That is my favorite dimension. We are yes. such nerds, Moss. We are nerding it out. <laughs> but, but weren't you one of the first ones? Because I remember for a long time, people would say the reason you have a posterior open bite was because of the thickness of the plastic, right? Weren't you one of the first to say it was heavy anterior interference? I always completely disagreed with that. Yeah, and I don't know if I was the first one to say it, but I remember that's the reason why I got into speaking because I was tired of hearing about it. Oh, really? So that was like the genesis of it? Yes, that was the genesis of it was that I was going to all these meetings where people were making excuses for the lack of finishing posteriorly. And one of the main reasons was the presence of the plastic. And I wasn't having that problem. You'd have it occasionally. It's usually iatrogenic, in my opinion, um, that it's just not catching or something or, you know, it's not because of the aligner, the presence of the aligner. And so I just kind of went to the rep. I was like, I'm tired of hearing about this. This is, this is where I'm going to these meetings. You keep taking me to these meetings. I'm hearing the wrong thing. This isn't a value to me. And uh, he is like, if you have something to say about it, why don't you talk? And I was like, well, okay, maybe I will. And that's where it all kind of stemmed. And I gave a talk at AO 
2013, where apparently you and I met, like we were kind of catching up. Yeah, yeah, we were catching up. The first time we crossed paths yeah. was Philadelphia, 2013 yes. AO. I don't know if any of you remember that one. Maz and I actually were taking an ABO board prep course, yes. and we sat next to each other. Had no idea who this guy was, but I was <laughs> saying how uh, you know I really love doing Invisalign and blah 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 blah, and and sort of thinking I was hot stuff, and then. Uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Chris Seta. Oh, I'm Maz Moshiri, right? <laughs> I mean, that was my first talk ever for them. Is that right? Was their booth talk. Yeah. I gave a talk in the booth and it was something different, I think. And they saw that it was valuable and they then said, you know, if you wish to continue talking, we'd like to maybe open up a conversation about that. And we that was kind of all she wrote. When we come back in just a moment... How Moz and his business partner come up with the idea for an online education platform for clear aligners that would be by orthodontists for orthodontists. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from 3M Oral Care. Have you heard of the latest innovation from 3M Orthodontics? The all-new 3M Clarity Aligners Flex Material features five layers of flexibility and excellent force persistence and is suited for movements of rotation and proclination. The new material complements the legacy 3M Clarity Aligners Force Material to offer truly customized treatment designs throughout a single treatment plan. And with the 3M Oral Care Portal, advanced treatment design is at your fingertips. To explore how you can start enjoying more choice than ever, or to request a demo, please visit 3m.com slash Clarity Aligners. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. Maz Moshiri. Now, I actually don't normally get questions from listeners, uh, but I do have a question here from an anonymous listener who asked, who is your biggest influence in orthodontics and why is it Jonathan N? <laughs> I wonder who, oh, could, who that could be. Oh, my Lord. Um, <laughs> so I will tell you my biggest influence, definitely my dad. Uh-huh. Uh, but since we're talking about Invisalign, I will be honest about it. Jonathan was a huge influence for me at the time because there was not much information out there. Yeah. And I remember reading, he had an article called Tripping the Plastic Fantastic. Oh, I remember that one. Oh, he's so proud of that one. Too. He's very proud of that one. And he should be because yeah. it was in a throwaway magazine at the time. But the fact of the matter is he put effort into it and he conceptualized forces and biomechanics and applying orthodoxy to plastic that people weren't doing at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was very eye-opening for me and it did change the trajectory of my outcomes because it described something to me that I wasn't understanding and it influenced the way I did things and it made me more successful. He deserves a lot of credit for that. And yeah. he's definitely not the biggest influence in my life, but he's influenced my life dramatically in other ways in terms of friendship and brotherhood. And, uh, you know, he's my business partner, obviously. This is getting sappy very so quickly. It is. I it thought is. this was going to go the other it's, direction, it's, really. It's, it's the tequila. Uh, <laughs> stimulant, yes. Uh, I probably consider Jonathan as one of my biggest mentors as well. You know, for me, orthodontically, David Sarver is certainly one of them, but I, I consider Jonathan, especially yeah. I was fortunate that I started practicing in New Jersey. And of course, Jonathan is a Jersey guy too, right? I had him relatively local that I could, you know, go see him at after hour study clubs where he had his wine with him and late night with Jonathan. Big cab. Big or cab. P- or Pino. Yeah. Right. 
But um, learned so much from him. Uh, looking forward to getting him on the podcast soon. But at some point... By the way, thank you for putting me on first. Uh, <laughs> we won't rub that in. Uh, so <laughs> here we go. Uh, so at some point, you guys sort of got an idea to come up with like an online education platform, right? So where, yes. where did that start? While I have the opportunity, because I'm on here first, uh, <laughs> to go back a little bit in time. So I did the booth talk mm-hmm. at AO 2013. I believe that's also when I met him for the first time. Because he was also one of the speakers at the time for a line for, I think it was really had a tenure there at that point in time. If you've ever met Jonathan's wife, he way out kicked his coverage. Eleni. Eleni, yes. Yeah, beautiful woman inside and out. Very smart. And she basically, because I was there with my wife Mm -hmm. and we were pregnant, I think, with my first son at the time. Mm -hmm. And so Eleni went out of her way and sent us a congratulatory gift. And very unexpected. Yeah. And that's what actually sparked our friendship. No way. And so it's interesting. That we're going to have some parallels here. Yeah. That Eleni was the reason why Jonathan and I can be so close. Hmm. But my wife is kind of the stimulus for the fellowship. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. And so the way that started, Jonathan and I, we, we clicked. We just clicked. We get each other's senses of humors. Mm-hmm. We're different, but in a good way, yes. I think. Um, we respect each other a lot. So... We were conceptualizing, trying to come up with a textbook because we have a passion for education. And at the time, there was really no textbook for moving teeth with plastic. We were in full-time private practice. We still both are, obviously. And we didn't have the bandwidth or the wherewithal to know how to publish a book. Sure. So we took it to Align at the time. And Align was really invested in doing live courses. So they kind of shot us down at the Hmm. idea of helping us to publish a book. And so we both were like, we thought it was a great idea. We were both so passionate about yeah. it. We had written everything from A to Z in terms of the content and, you know, the outline of what we were doing idea wise. And so it kind of went on the back burner. And then in the interim came up the orthodontic exchange. Do you remember that Facebook? Group? I do. Is yeah. It? I wasn't on Facebook at the time, but certainly I know of it. That was David Butler, right? Yes. Yeah. So he actually went to Louisville as well. He was, oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, I went to the same ortho residency as him and I knew him and uh, throughout the process of being in school. Great guy. And um, that Facebook group was one of the first Facebook groups in orthodontics. And then it was one of the first geographically exclusive Facebook groups. Hmm. And then he actually ended up monetizing it. So he ended up charging a fee to stay in the group because we were genuinely sharing a lot of valuable information to surprisingly, it was like, well, what's the fallout going to be that he's charging a fee for this? And a lot of people stayed in the group because it was that valuable, the information we were sharing. But then obviously some free groups started on the outside and they kind of waved the geographic exclusivity and the sharing became kind of, you know, just everyone just started sharing information, which is great. Yeah. But around that time when that happened, my wife said, you know, why don't you start a course with what you have? You have all these PowerPoints and you can go ahead and just like, you know, do a digital textbook and have a Facebook group and do it. Brilliant. It it was her idea. And I literally that minute got on the phone. I called Jonathan. Jonathan. This is how we get our book out there. We don't have to go to a publisher. We don't have to write all this stuff. Like yeah. We have our PowerPoints. It's all right there in front of us. And ClinCheck anyways is so 3D visualized in terms of what you have to do. You need video anyways to do right. this. That literally the next week, we picked the course start date. We picked uh, the structure of the course. We already had it because we outlined the textbook from our presentation online. And we started, Jonathan says we recorded the dark side of the moon, but we were like, <laughs> we literally every single night, I'm not kidding you, for like four months straight, we were recording after work. 
Wow. In our studies. And I, at the time, God bless my wife, my son was less than a year old. And so there's some videos where he's crying in the background. No way. And it's like he's on the opposite side of the house, but you can hear him. It was very challenging for my wife and for me. But yeah. like, you know, she actually um, came with me to the last AAO. She met an orthodontist that came up to me and was very teary eyed. The impact that the fellowship had in her life, which mm. I never would have expected that to happen. But it just, I'm not getting into details of it because it's personal for that doctor. Okay. But it changed the trajectory of her life. Wow. And she was standing next to me hip to hip. And I was glad she was able to see that because sometimes when you travel so much or when you do things where you take away from your family time, it's hard to express the value of what that is doing to your spouse or significant other. Yeah. Uh, and for her to see the impact that had was very important to me. And, you know, it doesn't justify me not being with my family by any means because, uh, you know, I'm going to commit to being able to do that and having a balance my whole life. I think it's easy to get out of balance sometimes. You have to always go back to that. It validated what she does as a mother to hold the fort down because right. she kind of got it, you know, and right. she wants to allow me that distance or space to do that. But I have to be committed when I come home too. So there's a balance there, but Absolutely. it was cool for her to say, but she was just like Lenny introduced us. My wife was stimulus with fellowship. So we both have great, great women in our lives. We're both extremely fortunate. Yes. And um, I got to meet Michelle finally at this recent AAO, yes. which was awesome. And I think it's so cool how that story like came together, right? The puzzle yeah. pieces just fit together perfectly. Totally. Yeah. Just putting yourself in the right place at the right time. And we we're fortunate about that. So. so you guys develop all this content, right? And I think originally was it like you post on Facebook, but you had to go to Dropbox maybe to download? Is that sort of the Yeah, format? so um, it's a small business and you make a lot of mistakes along the way. You learn things along the way. So we initially had it on a Facebook group and you had to download all the videos, but you had to download them by a deadline. That's right. Because we wanted to protect the content. We didn't want it to be disseminated just very easily, you know? And yeah, down- how do you get around that, right? Yeah, it was very tough. And the only form of security we could think of was to have a deadline in terms of downloading the content. And it mm-hmm. was 50 hours of content. It was a lot. 50 hours. I was in the second class, by the way. Yeah. So so many people would complain about how much content it was, but it's like, well, we're not teaching you a weekend course. This is orthodontics. This yeah. is orthodontics. So it, it can't be, you can digest it however you want, but it's not a simple task. Invisalign isn't easy. You know, Spark isn't, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Like moving to the liners is not easy, but we have to teach how to do it properly. And then that's orthodontics. And so just like residency isn't done in a couple months, we couldn't do that without having that amount of content in there. Now, at this day and age, if I was to do like a, another aligner fellowship, you know, for people that have taken it, like it's different. You can probably see, take it down a notch a little bit, right? Okay. At that point in time, it was just so incipient. We had to go through all the, the biomechanics of it because depending on what system you're using, things have also innovated over time that have kind of made up for some of the things we were teaching. That makes sense, yeah. You know, but like when you're starting from ground zero, where the innovations weren't there, we had to present everything as if it was rudimentary. You know, a line talks about like force-driven systems versus displacement-driven systems. And a lot of before the optimized attachments, everything was displacement-driven, where you push a tooth, it moves this way, and there wasn't a force system built in to counteract the side effects of the tooth movement. Okay. You know, so we had to discuss all those side effects. Right. So you could account for them and you could hopefully prevent them. And that was a lot of the education in that. And it was discussing that very kind of detailed as much as we could. Yeah. So. Well, to me, what's super interesting is currently, and I think COVID really accelerated this, there's numerous uh, online education platforms, right? Sean Carlson has uh, Clark, which was formerly OrthoScience. Glenn Krieger has Orthopreneurs. David Sarver had his masterclass too. But I believe you guys were like one of the first 
online educators, right, in orthodontics? As far as I can recall, we were one of the first out there that really had a, a following. I think it was something that was popular that people were really kind of running into. They were talking about it with their colleagues. We've had the opportunity to train 4,000 orthodontists internationally. That's incredible. We take that responsibility seriously. We're honored by it. And it's great going to meetings and you just see people coming up to you and saying like, hey, I really appreciate the content and you sharing what you've learned. And it's helped me to become proficient at doing orthodontics with aligners. And that's a big part of people's practices right now. And it's um, it's not going anywhere, you know? So it's, I've been very blessed to be on this journey. Looking back, it's been a whirlwind, but it's been really cool. And I think I read recently that you guys are up to like fellowship class of like 17 you've done or about I, to do 17? I believe it's 16, if I can recall that correctly. You may be right, and I'm embarrassed. I don't know that number exactly. I think it's 16 though. And I don't know if you know this. We have come into um, a partnership with Align where all the residents in the United States and Canada get the fellowship at no cost. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it's integrated into their curricula. We did take it down a little bit because we want them to be able to actually finish the content residency. So it's about 25 hours versus 50. But we basically said, like we went through the curriculum, like what is the most fundamental thing they need to know to be proficient when they get out of residency? And we took that and made like a skeleton of the content. They have six months to complete it. And if they finish it in six months, they get to keep all the content. But if they don't finish it, then they lose all the content. And that's just because they're not paying for it. I want them to have skin in the game Yeah, because it's important that, you know, there's value to that content. I want to make sure that they appreciate it. In residency, I was searching for content. I was scouring for it. And so it's important that if you have it, that you take advantage of it. So one thing I wanted to ask about, which I'm super curious about, and I imagine some listeners are, is just like the business model of online education, right? Yeah. So I, I know you probably can't share too much in terms of numbers and things like that, but I imagine like you have a relatively low overhead. It's just the time involved, right, in developing all that content. And so yeah, it's interesting because like you know, I guess it was considered a side hustle to some extent if we were to mm-hmm. kind of make it a cliche, but it, it really has taken up a lot of my time, as I shared not only with recording the videos, but then. Now you're dealing with 4,000 doctors that may have support requests or um, need help in terms of accessing CE or accessing, uh, you know, the questions on how to download videos or questions on deadlines. And as much as you try to make the instructions as clear as possible, people tend to just skim over things. And then they go to the path least resistance, which is to go to the support box and ask a question. Mm. And so all of a sudden you have all this incoming support you have to deal with. So I've had to hire people. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. So we have a team of like four people that manage the fellowship. And so as Chris uh, Benson may say, I have a digital Sherpa. (laughs) Uh, And so her name is Layla Bowder. She's out in California. And I've known Layla for a long time. She's helped Mm -hmm. me with my uh, private practices, my website, my SEO. And that's how I established a relationship with her. But she's always been interested in marketing. And she has a very high acumen for developing websites and content and kind of managing those things. So she to your point, took us off of Facebook, took us off of Dropbox and put us into Kajabi. Mm-hmm. Which is a newer platform, right? It's a newer platform. It's an educational platform. And so Kajabi allows people to access the course, but they do it in a manner where they no longer need to download the content. It's an app. So they keep the content forever. There's no more Perfect, downloading yeah. needed. And so we, you know, we've had journeys and learning curves along the way where we're trying to... We take surveys, we listen to what 
you know, our quote unquote consumer is digesting and take the suggestions and try to constantly improve what we're doing either in terms of content or in terms of how they're interacting with the course. And so it's been a big learning experience for us. Even dealing with Align, like it's just been interesting um, having their feedback as well. Yeah, Align, wherever you are in the fence of how you feel about this company, they've done a lot for orthodontics in terms of where we are today. If you really mm-hmm. look at the current state of our profession, Align is responsible for significant influence in terms of where we're at today. Hmm. And I feel very fortunate. It's hard for me to say that because I obviously have a bias. I'm paid by them as a speaker, but I feel fortunate to be able to provide aligners to my patients. I love providing aligners to my patient, doing it in a proficient manner. I feel like there's a huge value in your practice to be able to do orthodontics with plastic and be able to see your patients on a four-month interval to uh, not have that pokey wires or broken brackets and be able to treat them when they're in college. There's so many advantages to aligners, and that's because of Invisalign, what yeah. they did. I don't know where I was going with that thought process, honestly, but like interacting with them and having their feedback, I think, is where I was going with it. It has been invaluable to me because they have good feedback to provide in terms of the educational content of what their users need. And so to get that from just surveys from people that took the fellowship is not always enough. So that's also been an interesting dynamic is partnering with somebody in terms of the business. If you're looking at it as a business, you know, my reach to people, have people come take my course was social media for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And I think people may be tired of seeing us kind of what we call, you know, quote unquote, spamming the threads of putting like, oh, by the way, next fellowship course is open. But Align has a sales team. And so if there's a new registration available, you know, they help us to promote the course. But That's obviously great. people know how to use Invisalign, they're going to submit more cases. Right. So it's, you know, one hand washes the other type of thing. Yeah. My personal feelings about Align, I would say uh, the relationship is complicated, right? I use Invisalign. I'm an Invisalign user. But obviously there is a, a whole history there, which is a podcast in and of itself. But what I find super interesting is that you guys... Was it like 2016, 2017 that you came out with the fellowship? It was, uh, let's see, the fellowship has been around, I think it was 2017. 2017. And it wasn't called the Invisalign Intensive Fellowship. It was the Aligner Intensive Fellowship, as Jonathan would say, right? You have to put the proper emphasis on the, like I call it the Aligner. (laughs) No, no, it's the Aligner Intensive Fellowship. <laughs> I got to get, I got to giggle out of Mazda. there. But, you know, I thought that was super cool because you really made it like for orthodontists by orthodontists there, right? And yes. you guys have never trained a general dentist. I want to highlight that, right? So, to be honest with you, we've had two slip through the cracks. Whoa, whoa yeah. what happened? Oh. Yeah. So, we vet everyone. Yeah. They kind of like lie on the fake IDs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, but we find out in the back and then kick them out. They met your college buddy. and <laughs> Yeah. Unintentionally, we've had like two, I think, slip through the cracks. Maybe That's three good. out of 4,000 is not bad, but we will never open the course up. Never. And I'm saying this, it's recorded. Open this course up to general practitioners and- you know, Jonathan gets a lot of grief more than I maybe do online at times for just his support of clear liners. And I don't think it's warranted, honestly. We are here for orthodontists. We are here for our profession. We believe in our profession. We could have made a lot of money, hmm. a lot of money by opening this course to GPs. And we will never do that because awesome. we're here for our profession. We don't want to have those arrows in our back. We value our reputations. Uh, we're here for our profession. And so we love aligners and we see the value in them. And I think a lot of our colleagues do too. It's, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You have yeah. some naysayers that, you know, may want to speak very loudly. And we kind of lay in the background because we have much more positivity coming to us when I come to meetings like this or in person 
that I'm not going to sit there and dwell on other things I may see or hear on social media. And it happens. I'm a human being, you know, like I want to do good work and I want to do it well. And I want to, you know, have ethics about what I do. I want to diagnose well and take care of my patients. And there's different tools to do that. And I'm not going to lambast an appliance because I failed to actually think about the orthodontics to get the result. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to blame the appliance for my lack of right. trying. You know what I mean? So that's what happens sometimes. And you get sick of hearing that. Even with light force, for God's sakes. 3D printed, fully customized appliance. Mm-hmm. You know, It's not going to work properly unless you have a good diagnosis and you run your mechanics in between point A to Z. Absolutely. There's, there's no panacea in orthodontics. Mm-hmm. You have to be a good orthodontist, right? right? So to sit there and point fingers at appliances is inappropriate. It's not, I mean, it's ridiculous. You, you have know? to be a thinker. And you mentioned that in your talk, right? That, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think you mentioned, you know, you might not be the best at uh, bonding brackets, right? But right. Uh, orthodontics is all about the diagnosis and treatment planning. Absolutely. I think that's the Dr. Sarver thing, but maybe someone said it before him that I don't well, know. Well, you know, he's a huge influence in my life, especially as of the uh, recent years. But 100%, he likes to see the end in the beginning. And that comes from diagnosing. And, you know, part of my how I set things up always is where's the upper incisor and the smile. That's a lot of his influence on me. You know, digital tools allow us to do that. But there's no perfect tool to get us there. You know, oh, absolutely. Like, so we still have to understand diagnosis and anchorage and elastics and IPR and Bolton and all those things. So. Yeah. So, Maz, before we move on from aligners, I have one question I'm dying to ask you. I took the fellowship back in 2017. And now here we are, 2022. What are your top aligner pearls for this year? So I'm going to kind of revisit my AAO lecture a little bit because I know you, you use Invisalign. I'm going to be a little bit Invisalign-centric with the answer, but it still is important for, I think, any aligner you use. The vertical, as you and I were kind of discussing previously, is, in my opinion, the most important dimension to address with aligners, especially in your first set, because your goal is to be efficient and really not have many refinements. Invisalign, when they came out with G8, mm-hmm. I thought that was their best really iterational generational change that they had. It was incredible because the attachments in the posterior not only took into account really in terms of the way they're oriented anchorage to help level the curve of speed effectively. But if you also had rotational concerns of any of the posterior teeth, that was also included in terms of how the attachment was designed. Hmm. And so my pearl for Invisalign is to really prioritize G8, not only with, because it was designed for expansion. G8, if you look at the force systems, and again, talking about a force-driven system versus a displacement-driven system, G8 was designed so that if you're expanding posterior segments, you have an attachment to push on that will allow for the buccal cusp to stay seated Okay. as you're pushing that tooth buccally so that the buccal cusp doesn't intrude and the palatal cusp extrude. But the push surface is ideal also to provide anchorage for an equal and opposite surface to push on when you're leveling the curve of speed. So if you're intruding the incisors, there's a reciprocal extra force posteriorly and all right. those attachments, they're designed beautifully for that. And I like the efficiency of it because if I ever had to level a curve of speed and I was adding my own attachments, I'd have to take a conventional and kind of make it oblique if there right. was a rotation on the tooth because G5, which was made for deep bites, didn't take into account rotations. Well, G8 does. So I basically have told all my technicians, my preferences, make sure to develop the arch by half a millimeter only in all deep bite cases to trigger G8. Interesting. Because if conditions and thresholds aren't met, you don't get the attachment. And the condition and threshold is half a millimeter of arch development, which is non-significant. You know, it's it's significant enough for me to get the attachment, 
But if I have someone who has recession, I don't want to obviously violate that biologically right. in the effort to get an attachment, mm-hmm. right? But half a millimeter is nothing. So it's safe to do in almost all your patients to do that. But in doing that, like the goal is, and it comes down to the same thing as, as with light force. I mean, if you kind of look at things that are parallel with each other, it is a waste of my time to set up attachments. Why am I doing that? Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. If that can be automated and delegated to a line to do that, I need that to happen because I need to focus on diagnosing properly and treatment planning properly and then focusing on what's happening in between that. I don't need to focus on like using a 3D control and rotating an attachment. Like that's a waste of my time. And I think many people would agree with me. Like that's the biggest complaint they have about clear liners is that they're stuck behind a computer. That needs to be automated, right? Right. And so by prioritizing that, it helps you to automate a lot of those decisions. Because a lot of the patients we treat are more deep by tendency. Of course. Than anything else. Yeah. And so, but if you don't level the curve of speed, you're not going to address the AP. Absolutely. So you have to get out of that really mud to be able to then resolve your class two malocclusion. You yeah. know, and so and generally speaking, I've found if you truly address the vertical, it's gonna hundred percent decrease your refinements. And that involves over treatment to some extent because the plastic is the least stiff wire we have in the mouth, right? So, and I hear some people saying, well, you know, spark, you do less over treatment with, I don't buy that. It's a different wire. Maybe the properties are a little bit different. You need to over treat with a night tie if you're trying to level the curve of speed. That's what reverse curve of speed is for. You're going to do the same thing with a liner all day long, you know? So are there going to be different nuances between the plastic? Yeah, there will be. But not to the extent where you don't need to overtreat. That's ridiculous. That's yeah. that's always going to be the case, especially in more moderate to severe cases. I hate to ask you a question within a question, but you've triggered something here. Yeah. I in my mandibular advancement cases, I probably have done I don't know twelve or fifteen, so not too many. Yeah. Unless there's a pre MA phase, and usually that's more for the transverse or applying torque to the maxillary incisors. But I struggle because you can't get those posterior attachments on. So you never Mm -hmm. really open the deep bite, even though you're advancing the mandible. Do you use mandibular advancement? Not very much, to be honest with you, because I think they made a recent innovation to help reinforce the wings because I felt like the wings were crumpling a lot on my patients and they were uh, not being advanced. So I'd have to always add elastics and just add a layer of complexity that I kind of just went back to Mara's, honestly. Gotcha. In terms of what I was doing, I've done Mars with Invisalign, um, quite a few, or just Mars with Fixed, obviously, too. But apparently, they've improved that solution to the extent. But when I was doing it more often, the pre-MA phase always involved leveling the curve of speed. Right. And so, I'd get the attachments on, I'd level the curve of speed, and then I would go into MA. Gotcha. That's what I was okay. doing. You mentioned G8. If I'm understanding correctly, the G8 attachments are the ones that sort of look like uh, almost like wontons, if you will, for a visualization. Right? It's like the optimized expansion support and retention. I love, I love that description of them. From now on, I'm calling them wonton attachments. Wonton. Yeah. You can. There you go, Jonathan, with your sash. Okay, instead of just uh, name just something, I dubbed it. it. Yeah. Ha- hashtag wonton. Yeah, just like get it out there. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so just to circle back, you said a half a millimeter of expansion. Arch development. Right. I love how you actually get it to trigger for the text instead of just demanding it like I do. (laughs) (laughs) It's like subtleties, you know, because like if it's in your back end instructions, Mm -hmm. it just decreases the amount you have to even talk to the tech. Yeah. And that's like the whole goal is like, I want to not be involved in the software as much as I can. Yeah. I was always kind of lambasted for having all these like chunky attachments everywhere and having them over all the teeth. But then the trend has been with all the innovations of the line to add more attachments to teeth. 
So I feel a little bit vindicated by that, but I also am very appreciative to them because they're taking a lot of that responsibility off my shoulders. I don't want to deal with 3D controls. Like there's no root control for molars. So Jonathan's twin attachment works great for that. Or there's no uh, root control for a lower incisor. So you may need to add a long vertical attachment or you need to over treat things and you want to go into 3D controls and do that. I want my goal to be just like it is with, again, Light Force, put the teeth where they're supposed to be, knowing that you understand as an orthodontist what the force system is, and then have the appliance customized to the patient. Yeah. And then you deliver it. When we come back, in just a moment, why the Moshiri family decided to join orthodontic partners and Maz's decision to go all in with Light Force. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from ULAB Systems. ULAB is the next generation aligner company. Their team of healthcare innovators is creating the most flexible platform on the market so orthodontists can choose the right combination of aligner therapy for their patients' best outcomes. Their latest release, Udesign 7.0, brings advanced AI for treatment setup and auto staging, making in-office treatment planning and manufacturing easier than ever. No time to treatment plan? Then send your case to the USS team for a quick turnaround. Orthodontists have the option to order aligners from ULAB's US-based facility or create them in-office. ULAB brings you flexibility and speed to run your practice your way. To learn more, head over to ulabsystems.com. And we're back to our conversation with Dr. Maz Moshiri. You mentioned something in your talk today that just resonated with me, particularly because you said it twice and I'm a little slow. So when you say something again, it just really hits home. You said, we need to delegate what we can automate. Maybe this is the theme of the podcast. Yeah, so I envision orthodontists more and more being behind a computer in their office. Me too. And I think it's just the way the profession is going where, you know, we are fully digital. We are fully digital. I know a lot of people delegate this, but we still do the appliance submission process. Mm -hmm. So my sister does that to Neo Labs. We use Invisalign for clear aligners. We use Lightforce for our fixed appliances. We use ULAB for interim aligners hmm. where we um, debonding patients out of braces. Let's say and there's some minor fine tuning. We'll deliver a liner in two or three days to them in-house with 3D oh, printing. Cool. But that's a lot behind the computer. But I really feel like I'm attuned to doing that. Could I train someone in my office to do that? I probably could. I haven't done it quite yet. It's in my roadmap. And historically, there's some people that are really quick to adapt. Others are like, well, there's no way that I can delegate what I do as an orthodontist because I went through all this schooling to do what I do and nobody can get this because they're not capable of this because I'm just like so superior to everyone that works in my office. And the fact of the matter is, is that if you do it right, you can make yourself so much more efficient by having somebody help you, help you. Right. So you're saying, you know, you know delegate what you can automate. If I can have, you know, Major help me with these things, for example, or if uh, Invisalign can help me automate things or LifeWorks can help me automate things, but I have final eyes on it. Mm-hmm. I have final eyes on right. it, right? I'm skipping all the in-between that I had to do, used to historically do with 3D controls forever, right. right? Let's say as another, you know, historic example. That's the whole point of being an orthodontist is that your value is in your mind. 
It's not in your hands all the time. It's not in uh, having control and having your fingers entrenched in every single process throughout the duration of it, right? It's the incipiency of it, the diagnosis, the finality of it with the appliance fabrication, and then seeing the case through to the finish line, right? right? Being there through the process. How does that look like for us? Does it mean seeing your patient for every visit? Does it mean having a fully customized digital appliance like Invisalign or maybe like Lightforce where God willing Lightforce comes out with a self-ligating appliance? And I'm just being honest. If it can be self-ligating, I can put a rectangular night tie in there because it's fully customized to the patient. Mm. And let that person bake. I can see them in a four-month interval, right? Right. Yeah. Just let the night tie work. That's what Invisalign was. Yeah. It was a fully customized digital appliance. You knew where the appliance was going. Right. Well, right now we're somewhat limited by the bow ties or elastics, right? Whatever right. you want to call them. Like sometimes you just literally have to get the patient back to retie because they lose elasticity and forced you know, ammunition. Yep. Forced ammunition. You have to you have to reactivate the appliance again, right? But that's like in the design, it was reactivating because of weekly changes, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's going to get there. It's exciting because it's in the beginning. And we're seeing the evolution of it as with, you know, there's other appliances out there too that are customized digital appliances. You know, we're a light force meeting, but there's Stride, there's Embrace, there's Brias, there's Braces on Demand. And all these companies deserve credit because they are kicking our profession in the butt, pushing it forward. And that's important because fixed appliances haven't changed. They haven't. Since, Since Andrew's made a fundamental shift in the appliance. But since Andrew's made the shift, everyone's been trying to shift his shift. Right. Because it, as beautiful as the innovation was, it wasn't customized enough for the patient. Mm-hmm. And so Roth came out with the prescription, MBT came out with the prescription, then there's all these variable torques that came out, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone's trying to improve the fixed appliance uh, to make it customized to the patient. But that literally wasn't possible until 3D printing came out. Right. It's funny that you mentioned that because we just talked about this on my last podcast with Chris Bonebreak, but... With metal injection molding, the process was so expensive to iterate and innovate because to retool sometimes would cost fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars or more just to make a very small change to a bracket. Right. But with this three D printing technology, literally you can have an idea and like the next day you can make a change. It costs them nothing to innovate. So the motivation to innovate is much higher. Let's think about it from a business standpoint. If I knew I could innovate a bracket and make more money on it, but it didn't cost me anything to do it, I'd have much more incentive to do that. Right. Versus from an economy of scale standpoint, if you talk to Alfred, if you're designing a whole new bracket, it costs anywhere from like $500,000 to a million dollars. The only way to recoup that investment, you have to sell a ton of brackets. And then every time you want to innovate it, like you said, then it costs incrementally you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to make tweaks to it. It's yeah. very expensive to do that. And then you have to kind of release the changes to all your consumers. They have to change their inventory of what they have at the bracket and then kind of go through. I mean, we're at a very interesting stage of orthodontics where I think the ability to deliver orthodontics is gonna be easier and easier and easier. You know, sky's falling mentality. Oh my God. Right. Well the dentist is gonna do it. And you know, it doesn't benefit a dentist to do a lot of orthodontics. Um it just doesn't because Orthodox is very humbling. I see cases every day, no matter how sophisticated my appliance may be, that I'm humbled by it. I'm like, man, this I should have done this instead. You know, mm-hmm. right? So that journey to get comfortable, I tell my residents it's slew. I think it takes you five years to become proficient as an orthodontist. I would where, agree. Where you kind of get to that point where you're like, aha, 
Right. I get it. You know, like I don't, I'm not asking quite, I can sit down, I can make a decision. I can go to the next chair and I can do this. And a dentist can't put that bandwidth in. It's like, um, it was Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell. Yeah. yeah. 10,000 hours, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's just, and Dennis, you know, I don't think we'll ever take the liability on of treating kids and teenagers. There's some cowboys out there, obviously, that will do that, but I don't worry yeah. about cowboys or the 1%. I worry about the rest of the world. I worry about myself, what I can do. Orthodontics has a lot more awareness. There's a lot more people seeking care. If you can provide excellent service, excellent outcomes, you're going to be busier than you know what to do with yourself. And that's where orthodontists have to figure out, I think, how to scale and how to increase their ability to see more patients. And I think going digitally is the answer to doing that personally, yeah. uh, because that allows you to be able to still diagnose treatment people accurately, even more accurately than you may be able to do an analog process and know that you're getting good outcomes. Yeah. Well, I think you and I are very like-minded in that sense that you and I sort of view the role of an orthodontist almost as more like mastermind, visionary leader. Yes. And what I'm sensing is I think you got a lot of this from your dad, right? Because doesn't he love to treatment plan and diagnose? And That's his whole gig now, man. He comes in the office and um, I just stick him in the consult room, you know, and then he'll come out and he makes the diagnosis, he treatment plans. And then he told me the other day, he's like, I will never go back to not using light force. And Interesting. Yeah. And let me give you some history on that. This yeah. is just so funny. I came out of residency like a bull in a china shop. And I just said, dad, we have to do this, 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 this. And he's like, just slow down. Like you were just like, I know what I'm doing. Like just slow down, right? And at the time when I joined his practice, he was using a twin bracket. The first wire was an 1818 Bioforce. The second wire was a 1622 TMA. Hmm. I went through and I was like, we need to do this stuff like getting bracket, this stuff like getting bracket. We got to increase our inventory to all these wires and all this stuff and come full circle. And what are we doing today? A twin bracket with pretty much two wires. And he just looks at me. He's like, you know, he shakes his head sometimes. He's like, you know, obviously we're doing a lot of Invisalign, but it's just funny how those things like what's yeah. old is new and you know, how things can kind of, you know, comes full circle again. Oh, Absolutely. Speaking of your dad, I have a question that's been on the back of my mind that I know you have a generational practice here with, you know, your father, sort of the patriarch and you and your sister Shoka taking over. Recently, you guys made the decision to partner with Jamie Reynolds and Orthodontic Partners, right? So yes. that must have been like a tough decision. And, you know, I'm curious what your dad thought of this whole situation. My dad had a very hard time with it, to be honest with yeah. you, because that was his baby. Like he started the practice and if anything, he's always had control of a situation. And what I had to convince him through the process was that it was not a loss of control, that it was a partnership. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to convince somebody, uh, especially someone as, as strong of a personality as him. And through this process, he's really seen that. Uh, we've partnered with OP December of 2020. You know, there's learning curves there, obviously. Like you have another sure. voice in your practice and that's yeah. something that is different if you're running the business and everything is on your shoulders. Uh, but it's truly a partnership where they want to help, but it's a different voice in the practice. It's like bringing on associates. Sometimes people have bringing on problems being on associates because it's just a different opinion. Yeah. And it's no different than that. And so at the end of the day, you have to trust who you're getting in bed with, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And you have to make sure that you see eye to eye on certain things. But- Having a difference of opinion is also healthy to some extent. Absolutely. Because I'm an orthodontist 
I consider myself a businessman to some extent, but I was never trained in that formally. Mm-hmm. I've made a lot of mistakes as a businessman. And so by having help on that front, it's definitely taking a lot of burden or load off of me. My dad sees that, you know, because I think part of his burden was when am I going to be able to step away from the practice knowing that you and your sister can handle this on your own? And by having someone else in the mix, especially with my sister having a baby recently and cutting back her hours or him wanting to cut back his hours, knowing that that doesn't all fall on me has been refreshing. Yeah. Because I don't have to manage the practice all on my own. I have someone else there to help me with it. And they don't say anything, nothing about Mm. what I do clinically. Do they have uh, suggestions on how to run the business better? Yes, but those are things that I don't have my eyes on all the time because I'm busy speaking or, you know, spending time with my family or, you know, I had my finger on the pulse of that practice full bore. I mean, where I lost sleep over it, going Mm. to dental society meetings, running study clubs, doing everything I could to grow the business. That gets tiring after a period of time. I haven't had enough of orthodontics, but I had enough of that where I wanted to just be able to come to work, but know I had support to run the business and still do whatever the heck I wanted in the business. You know, Life Force has a lab fee. Mm. They haven't said a word about that. Mm. You know, they let me make my lateral moves, do whatever I wanted to do, you know, use Invisalign. You know, they've been very supportive of any clinical decision I had. And that's been a nice thing for me because I could not be told what to do clinically. That was like the line in the sand for me. And going through that process, uh, Orthodontic Partners was the main one where for me personally, and there's many other great ones out there that for me made the most sense. And also having Sarver there for me mm-hmm. because he became a very, like for you, mm-hmm. became a mentor for me. That was a big deal to have him there as a, a colleague that I could relate to. Absolutely. So it's been a good journey for me. Well, I have to reveal something that uh, Jamie told me at the bar. He actually wants you to switch to Spark after all this, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally joking. So actually, we have a lot of things coming into this discussion. Jamie and I met over tequila. No way. At Orthopreneurs. Not over whiskey or something Not like that? Not over whiskey. Okay. So he and I had a very late night at a bar. It, it doesn't it, sound like Jamie. It doesn't sound like Jamie. At an Orthopreneurs meeting where I never met Jamie, but that was the first time I met Jamie. And we just started talking and um, I just hit it off with them. But he kind of brought up the incipiency of the idea hmm. of the Spark Partners. Of the, okay, the Spark of Yeah, the okay. Spark. Yeah, but yeah, just that initial idea. And then it was two years later that I joined OP. Interesting. Um, and so it was just kind of like how Alfred has brought people on yeah. to Lightforce. We're kind of introducing the idea and then over time just kind of hearing more about it. David Sarver had then joined and because of my relationship with him, I had been discussing things with him and I was like, you know what? I like this idea. And given where my trajectory is going with my dad, maybe slowing down. I know my sister wants to have children and I still want to be very active in the profession. I need help running this practice. And we don't have a small practice. We see like 90 patients a day where there's two doctors there every day. So I know some doctors see 90 patients by themselves, but you know, we're high touch. We like that flow of things, but it was getting busy to the point of where I felt like if she was slowing down, I didn't want to run that practice by myself and it's been working out for us. So, so you touched on what you really love about orthodontic partners and I'm going to ask you a tough question now, but like yeah. what's, what's been the biggest challenge from your day to day, you know, as Moshiri orthodontics and like the biggest change maybe for you or like a hurdle, maybe what really sucked, an answer, honestly, yeah, what really sucked. That's as honest as I can get was our practice management change. Okay. We changed from dolphin to ortho edge 
and it was not a fun transition. It wasn't handled very well. I just think the systems weren't in place at the time because they will bring up the analogy that we're kind of flying an airplane while we're building it, right? But I'm the passenger, so sometimes that's terrifying. Uh, you know, so... But when Jamie says it, it's so convincing, right? Well, Jamie's much more eloquent than I am. Uh, but look at it this way. You're a part of a small business again, but it's a growing business. It's a startup, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like starting all over again. So they're learning things and there has to be grace in that. Meaning that I understood that they were learning along the way that you come into it thinking and knowing that they're going to give you all the support. You expect everything to be together, but that's not really always going to be the case because it's a newer business and they're going to make mistakes along the way. And they have the same challenges that we do as a small business, meaning that in the pandemic, there's hiring challenges, there's retaining challenges. For example, Boston Logan canceled 50 flights today. They canceled 100 flights yesterday, right? right? Every business having these challenges now, so it's no different when, with these OSOs and their, their management aspect of things. So the biggest lesson I've learned is this, I guess, through it, is that if you're going to join certain OSOs, depending on what their trajectory is, you need to still be the leader of your practice. Okay. You don't want to join if you want to have one foot out the door. Hmm. You still need to keep both feet behind the door and you're going to see it as an opportunity to grow your business and to be a part of that growth with it. But you still need to be involved with it. But certain ancillary things like HR or you know ordering or things like they're going to they're going to centralize those things for you, which Makes will sense. help you to yeah. kind of make your staff more efficient to some extent, which indirectly helps some of the staffing issues because they had a lot of responsibilities taken off their plate, so I could repurpose some of what they were doing, mm-hmm. right? But you still need to be the leader, the culture, the leadership of your practice. Like culture is such a big thing in what oh, we do. of course, yeah. Culture is huge. You have to be the leader to have a culture. And so you can't drop that. Yeah. And so for people that are mentally checked out of orthodontics and they just want to get a paycheck, this is not for them. Mm. This is not for them. You need to be very involved still in what the business is doing. And economically speaking, because that if I'm not speaking about this, I'm lying to anyone. You get equity in the business and you're trying to bet on the upside of it. Of course. Right? Right. And so if you are an investor, if you want to finger on the pulse of the practice, you better be involved in it. You better make sure it's successful. And so we want people that have a tenure that still have a longevity. We're not asking people to join that are going to retire tomorrow because we're still trying to build the culture of the business. We're still trying to build these systems in the business and we're still trying to grow the business. And there's... um, you know, you're starting at ground level, but we still have a long runway to get there. I think the promise is we'll have no say in what you're doing clinically, and we're going to grow this culture to help support you in your systems, but it's not perfect and nothing is. Like sure. we're, we're still starting from the beginning. The biggest challenge for me to answer your question was that practice management conversion. Yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> oh boy. Well, at least you're honest, Maz. Yeah. So, Maz, what I'm hearing is that you're still working equally as hard. It's just that your priorities shift a little bit, right? That is a perfect way of putting it. I'm working equally as hard. But remember, the practice grew 20% last year, as many orthodontists did. And so we had a bunch of patients come in. So having that on my side really to help some of the management part of it. You know what I mean? So you're working hard at what you're good at as yes. opposed to things that we weren't trained to do like business. Correct. Correct. Like I don't have to worry about the practice management stuff as much anymore. 
Awesome. So we've danced around this topic quite a bit, but because we are at the Light Force meeting, I think we should talk about it. So, Maz, tell me, like, what was your first exposure to Light Force? And I understand you recently made a big decision, right, related to these brackets? Yeah. So, um, June of 2021, we went all in with Light Force. And so we completely stopped using any other type of bracket. Uh, I was using a self flagging smart club bracket because of the variable prescription aspect of it, mm-hmm. uh, which I learned from Anup Sandhi in his Essence of Efficiency course. Who was another mentor of yours, right? Or yes. is another mentor. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'd say Anoop, uh, in no particular order, my father and Sarver are my biggest influences. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan's at the bottom of the list. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, those are my biggest influences. Mm-hmm. And basically, 3M stopped supporting the bracket. Okay. And they stopped uh, supporting the variable prescription aspect of it, especially with the clarity aspect, uh, that that specific bracket. And so we had to make a decision as to uh, move into another system that would support variable torques because we liked customizing treatment to our patients. We believed in that. So like upper anterior brackets, right? Class 2, Div 2, you use a high torque. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, somebody who is class 2, Div 1 that has flared lower incisors, I may use a lower torque bracket with IPR to upright the incisors to counteract the the mechanics, Mm -hmm. right? So we would think through all those nuances of our cases. Uh, And we loved that. We loved and we were doing a ton of indirect bonding in-house where we would then do the Torque specific to the patient, IDB on the model, our lab tech would suck down the you know soft tray, hard tray, and then we deliver the, the braces. And we really saw a shift in the results from doing that from a direct bond without having a variable prescription. So we believed in it and we invested time in it and emotion into it in terms of getting through the indirect bonding aspect of things and the challenges of that. Well, when it discontinued, that was heartbreaking for us because we had really invested a lot in it in terms of the effort to learn. And we needed to make a decision. And was it like, you know, I started posting on Facebook. I asked questions like, who else has a variable prescription appliance system? You know, and we were just like researching. And, you know, thank God Alfred said, hey, Mez. Uh, you know, and, and I got <laughs> to know good. him. Yeah. So I got to, you know, know about that. But at the time, and I'm just being honest, they, they yeah. had the white bracket. The cloud now, the right? Cloud. They, they, they rebranded it so nicely. Matt Handy again. Yeah. Right? Which I honestly didn't like uh, on teeth, to be frank. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, you know, when you guys call it the clear one, call me again. And they happened to come out with a clear one in June of 2021. And it was very fortuitous timing. And so I was like, okay, I'm all in. Because the workforce is the exact same as uh, Invisalign. You scan, you plan, you deliver. Just that simple. Just that simple. You should trademark that, Moz. That was good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we literally made a, such a seamless transition to it. It was almost comical. Because wow. it was just nothing. Because yeah. it was the same, like the brackets come in the mail. The uh, assistants were pre-pasting the, the brackets, just like they would Invisalign the week right. before the appointment. Your indirect bonding, just like you do with attachments. Exactly. I mean, it, everything was the same. So this might be a tough question, but do you have a favorite thing or something you love most about Lightforce? I love digital treatment planning. Me too. That's really kind of like the sauce for me, I guess, uh, is being able to customize the treatments of the patient. I love delegating. Uh, I, I've realized that more and more, that younger orthodontists have a problem trusting their assistants. And the more tenured you become, the more you understand the value of your team and the importance of delegating to them. You need to trust them, you know, especially, you know, who's good and who's bad or, you know, and if they're bad, they shouldn't be with you, but you need to surround yourself with good people and you need to be able to leverage them properly. My ladies that work for me are incredible. They really do a great job awesome. for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm very blessed with the team I have. So to be able to trust them, they care about people. 
And so the fact that they care, if you find somebody that cares about people, you can trust them, you can delegate things to them because you know they don't want to do harm. Right. It's, it's the oath we took. Mm-hmm. But you need to surround yourself with people like that. Yeah. That can provide good service, that care about human beings and just be able to say, hey, this is how you bond this bracket. Go ahead and do it. And you know, pretend this was your child every day. Mm-hmm. And they do that. You know, I love that you said that because you and I are pretty much the same vintage. And when you and I went to dental school, everything was, you know, seated dentistry, you know, proper ergonomic position. You lay the patient back. But I look at David Sarver or, you know, I uh, worked for Dr. Randy Feldman, who was a mentor of mine. They all saw their patients vertically, like (laughs) sat up and they would face them head on. So it was so much easier to see smile arc when you're actually looking at a patient straight on, right? Versus fascinating. I I, I don't know if if you're like me, but I almost always lay the patient back and then take a look. But you're looking upside down, the patient's supine. Mm. How how are you really going to plan like smile arc when you're bonding brackets with the patient lying down, right? It's just so the more conscientious I've become of it, the more at the end of treatment, towards the end, I'm standing in front of the patient. That's because Sarver has called me out many times on my slides. Oh, has he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He called me out and say, hey, like, you know, that patient should have had more incisal display. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's right. I totally <laughs> screwed that up. But, you know, that's the value of having a mentor, you know, yeah. is someone who will just call you out mm-hmm. um, and not always compliment you because that doesn't really but help But he does you. it in a nice way. He does it in a nice way, but he's direct, which I yeah. appreciate because yeah. I don't want to beat around the bush. I want to get to you the You don't point. want to be sugarcoated. Yeah, right? he doesn't sugarcoat things. He'll just call it like it is. So you're right. Like you cannot treat a plan upside down because sometimes I'll look upside down. I'll say, hey, I'll tell my assistant next visit, you need to step down or I need to step down, you know, upper right two and three. Now I'll set the patient up. I'm like, just kidding. Scratch that note. Scratch that <laughs> note. It changes. It does. It's crazy. You know, so like, like seeing the patient in that view is very important. Yeah. So I agree with you hundred percent. So I think it does make it easier in some sense to do it digitally. And, you know, I don't know if you have, uh, if you're using the face map technology and sort of programming the soft tissue in there or not, I'm certainly not, but I I sort of look at the clinical photos, you know, that gives me a good idea. Do we need to maintain in uh, incisor position, extrude, intrude, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't use face map because the registration points are not accurate. Okay. And I think that Alfred recognizes that and they're probably going to make a different iteration of that. You know, I think it's important to treat them with two screens whenever you're doing something digitally in terms of a fully customized appliance. And I have dolphin imaging up and I have a, the wide smile and that's how I'm basing that. I'm looking at the Ceph. I'm looking at the, you know, uh, incisal edge to somehow superior and trying to like, you know, evaluate how much incisal display there is and if they have a short lip or if they have strong musculature when they're smiling and looking at all those nuances and trying to make an educated decision. You still, regardless of the appliance, you're going to need to make some type of bending probably either to account for the material you're using and forced diminution. So for example, you know, are you leveling a TMA or stainless steel? There's going to be a difference how you level the curve of speed and that even embraces, right? Mm-hmm. And how much extrusion you're going to have the incisors or intrusion of the lower teeth to make room for the extrusion. So there's still some things you have to do clinically to be nimble and react, you know, but uh, the path there should be much straighter in terms of having a fully customized appliance to the patient. Awesome. Well, Maz, I know we have a cloud party to get to tonight <laughs> as Lightforce has branded it. But as we wrap up here, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, I found this very illuminating, which I don't think I've I used that it. term before. Oh my gosh. I have a glass with the branding on it. So I love the name of the podcast. I love the branding. I don't know if you've been complimented on that before, but um, Thanks, you know, your microphones are stellar, very <laughs> professional. 
I actually feel like I sound better. I want to re-record my voice message on my phone using this microphone. Oh, we can make that happen. That'd be yeah, sweet. Yeah, sounds I, good. I would appreciate that. And uh, <laughs> you mentioned your top three influences. I have to go David Sarver, Jonathan Nicosesis, Maz Moshiri. So thank you for everything you've you done. You put to him get in front me. of me? You can't, end the, you can't end the podcast like that. <laughs> we can't end it like that? Oh. <laughs> I'm just messing with to, you. That's, to that's, be that's, your order, that's your order. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that. Maz, tell me this. If people oh. are interested, I think uh, a Liner Fellowship 17 coming up in August 18, I think I saw February 2023. People yeah. want to learn more about the fellowship. Where do they go? They go to uh, www.alinerfellowship.com. Not the Aligner Fellowship. No, that we, was we, taken we, we try to cut some uh, you know words out of it and make it easier. So yeah, it's www.alinerfellowship.com. There you go. Maz, thank you. Thank you so much. Honor and pleasure. Yes, the, me too. The classiest man in orthodontics oh. here. Cheers to you, brother. Cheers. Yeah, the, the classiest podcast. Ah, uh, so kind of you. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. To hear exclusive outtakes, suggest a guest, or sponsor an episode, head over to IlluminateOrthoPodcast.com. Until next time, this is Dr. Chris Seta signing off.